Now here is the great, great secret of effectual prayer. Listen carefully. The prayer that gets to heaven starts in heaven. I believe God wants to shake this old country one more time with heaven-sent revival. That's what God wants to do. There also has to be the other side of the coin, our responsibility to share that life-changing message with those around us. There's something in the nature of God that wants His love to be shared with other people. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring the ins and outs of church revitalization with your hosts, Matt Hensley and Kyle Beerman. This podcast is sponsored in part by the Christian Standard Bible. We encourage you to check out the CSB after the show to learn about a translation that is both readable and accurate at csbible.com. Hey, Kyle, how are you doing? Hey, Matt, I am doing well. It is. It I is. Am, as we were recording it today, it's my anniversary. This is our 16th is. anniversary. Our marriage can drive today. Yes, so, it can. There it you can. go. <laughs> Still not legal, but she can drive. No, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but congratulations, man. We need to give condolences, I guess, to Thanks. to Michelle. Yeah, uh, but, she's uh, put up with a lot in sixteen she, years. <laughs> she has, and, and especially that ridiculous hat that those that are listening in don't have to see. But I'm glad I don't have well, to see. There, the there's a reason. Off of yes, because that, that was the other. That was the see. other option. <laughs> well, Kyle, the good news is our listeners don't have to listen just to us today. Uh, but we have a special guest, right. uh, Dr. David Dockery. He is the president of the International Alliance for Christian Education, uh, the theologian in residence at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And as of today, it was announced, is the new editor of Swibitz's uh, Journal of Theology. But recently, he re-released an absolute classic, The Doctrine of the Bible, which we were just discussing before we went live is almost as old as both of us. Dr. Dockery, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. It's good to see you and Kyle. Thank you for the invitation to be with you. Well, we're grateful for you and already the impact that you're having with Southwestern. And, uh, and briefly, before we dive into the book, uh, how are you handling the, the transition amid uh, moving obviously from, from states, really from the top of the country all the way to the bottom, uh, in the middle of this pandemic. How, how's that going? It's not stressful at all, I'm sure. No, not stressful at all. I uh, <laughs> taught a systematic theology in January at the, at the seminary and then was doing some research uh, projects with the Carroll Center for Theology this spring. So I, I have been in Chicago for the past six years where I served as president for, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And uh, so after completing that, uh, Dr. Greenway called and said, would you like to uh, be a part of the Southwestern family? Of course, that's my alma mater. That was, that was too good to be true and impossible to say no. So uh, I accepted his invitation and uh, began, you know, being involved in the uh, Southwestern uh, community. And we had planned uh, to move to Fort Worth this spring. Uh, but as of March the 11th, there was a uh, stay-at-home order uh, here in the state of Illinois, which of course cut down real estate uh, traffic to almost zero. Uh, so we're we're here uh, being content in all circumstances, 
uh, waiting for the appropriate time, which we believe will be God's timing providentially uh, to move to Texas and hopefully to be in place before the fall semester. Uh, but it has, you know, it's been disruptive for everyone and it did bring a, a disruption to our plans, but we're, we're confident that uh, we'll be able to move the right time to the right place. Thank you. Kyle? So uh, as we shift kind of to, to discussing the book, um, as, as Matt mentioned, it's, it was released almost 30 years ago. So tell us about the, the context in which your book, The Doctrine of the Bible, was originally written. Yeah, you have to turn back the clock. You know, 30, 30 years is uh, a long time in Southern Baptist history in, in many ways because um, to understand what was going on in the life of Southern Baptist Convention uh, at, at the time. Uh, this, the convention had drifted uh, leftward and had in many ways lost its theological <clears throat> compass, at least in some areas uh, of, the, of the convention. So there was a call, a renewal call for the convention to reclaim its roots, to reclaim the transformational power of the gospel and the truthfulness and the authority of the Bible. And a, a call for faculty members at uh, Baptist institutions, colleges, universities, and seminaries to teach in accordance with that. And for literature uh, published at what was then called the Baptist Sunday School Board before it's, you know, that was the name before Lifeway, um, would also publish within that, those guidelines. Well, the controversy was pretty heated during the 1980s. And uh, at that time, the Baptist Sunday School Board had yet to publish anything that uh, fully affirmed uh, biblical inerrancy or the truthfulness of, of the Bible. So they had an opportunity to do so with their annual doctrinal study. Southern Baptist, uh, for many, many years, had studied the same, every church had taken a, a month during the year to study a particular doctrine. Well, there's the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of Christ or the doctrine of salvation. Well, uh, it, it was time again to study the doctrine of the Bible, uh, the meaning of Scripture. And so I was a young 30-something theologian, uh, one of the first conservatives that had been hired at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was invited uh, to write this doctrine study book. Uh, and all eyes were on it because the word was out that the Baptist Sunday School Board was going to, you know, have an official statement now on this. And so it was my responsibility to try to define these terms well and help people understand what the real uh, issues were. Uh, at the time, it, was, it, it sold more copies than any doctrine study had ever sold in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention going back uh, you know, the founding of the Sunday School Board was 1891, and my book was released in 1991. So over that century, it, uh, it got a lot of attention. And a, a, a lot of people wanted to see, you know, what I was going to, going to say. So with fear and trembling and the enablement of the Spirit and trust in God, and uh, I set out to, to uh, write the book. The invitation came at the end of 1989, so I had about 18 months to write the write the book, and it was published in 
1991 to be ready for uh, summer opportunities to speak about it at uh, Glorietta and Ridgecrest, then the summer campgrounds uh, for Southern Baptist. And then it was going to be studied in the churches in 1992. Uh, so it was in the, that was a pretty heated context and uh, a context in which the position of which I was affirming in the book was the minority position for sure uh, among Southern Baptist leadership and particularly among Southern Baptist uh, colleges and seminaries. Um, so I uh, was thankful for the opportunity and the Lord blessed it and uh, used it, I think, in a, in a positive way in the life of the, of the convention. Awesome, Dr. Dockery. Uh, I've been trying to, as you, you talked, to see if we would have anything in common other than our shared love for and uh, being students of Southwestern. And uh, as soon as you said best-selling theology book, I was, I was hopeful. Um, but that is not a category that we fall in whatsoever, uh, but <laughs> with replanting rural churches. Uh, but uh, I just know how difficult it was when we got our, yeah, when, when we got our, when we got our first uh, review, uh, I was, I was pretty excited when we got our first negative review, I was not too thrilled. And so I, I suppose that you had to have some pretty thick skin uh, during that time. Could you maybe tell us and, you know, uh, a few words here, kind of how the that weighed on you as a leader and as ultimately as a Christian and, and kind of a pastor's heart, theologian's heart? Well, I think the uh, real pressure had come a couple of years earlier. Um, if I can just take a few minutes to, to re-paint uh, the, the picture of Southern Baptist history here. Um, uh, in the 1985-1986 were the two largest conventions uh, in Southern Baptist history, over 45,000 people attending uh, each each one. It's hard to imagine that many people gathered uh, together, and it's really heated uh, conventions. And more conservatives were being appointed as elected as president. And more conservatives were being appointed to boards of trustees. And so the six seminary presidents in 1986 gathered in your state, there in New Mexico, Glorietta, and they released a, a statement, a very important statement in the history of the SBC called the Glorietta Statement, in which they, as six seminary presidents said, we affirm that the Bible does not err in any area of reality, which is a very strong statement. And then they said, we acknowledge that our faculties do not represent uh, fairly the makeup of the Southern Baptist Convention. And we will, from this point forward, begin to take steps toward remedying uh, that. So the six seminary presidents went back to their various schools. Uh, Dr. Roy Honeycutt, the president of Southern Seminary, went back to Southern Seminary and uh, was not met warmly uh, by the faculty for making this uh, statement. But they agreed not to hire a full-time faculty member yet, but to try some uh, visiting uh, faculty members for short-term courses to see how these things would go. And so they invited a handful of people to come, uh, several of them uh, marquee names in the evangelical world. Carl F.H. Henry, Millard Erickson, Clark Pinnock, and then there was this young guy nobody had ever heard of by the name of David Dockery, 
and uh, so, somehow my name got on this list and I was the first one that they invited. And so in the summer of 1987, I went to teach a course at Southern Seminary uh, during summer school, a four week uh, course. And uh, it was packed out. I preached in the one chapel for the summer term. His chapel was packed out. Again, everybody wanted to see what, you know, the, this guy was going to, to say. And uh, the students responded warmly. Faculty uh, appreciated what I did. And so in the fall of 1988, I was invited as the first uh, person to come in the classical disciplines at the seminary uh, who affirmed biblical inerrancy. Uh, wow. uh, following a three hour and 20 minute interview with the entire Southern Seminary faculty, the longest faculty interview on record. Um, so I had been through some testing already before writing uh, the book and uh, understood the context in which it would be read. And so I was writing from Southern Seminary in Louisville at, at the time and, and, and that, that helped a great deal to, so I could be sensitive to, to how it would be uh, understood and also to understand what needed to be addressed in, in the book for where I felt the shortcomings were in many aspects of Baptist theology at the time. Awesome. And so it has been three decades now, uh, 29 years, I believe we, we said, so 30 years later. Uh, and now it is being re-released by the Seminary Hill Press in what is perhaps one of the most gorgeous covers I've seen this year, for sure this year and in a long time. I, uh, I told Dr. Greenway when it came out, that I'm either going to get that tattooed somewhere or <laughs> I'm going to hire him away from your school somehow and start doing all of our, our graphic design because it's an absolutely gorgeous book. It's kind of a timely look, a classic look, uh, which represents, of course, the content of the book. So it's been almost 30 years. Why, why re-release it today? Well, uh, one of the things that, that Dr. Greenway did when he was named president was to uh, identify four stack poles, uh, four priorities for his administration, which included a commitment to cooperation in the cooperative program, a commitment to the Great Commission, uh, you know, but at the top of this list was a commitment to biblical authority. And uh, one of the things that he wanted to do to solidify that commitment was to have a conference that was planned for this past month for april of 2020 so you know he, he announced this last summer and at, at the uh, southern baptist convention last june and uh with the plans of putting on this this big conference in in april uh, that conference uh, was like many things not allowed to take place because of the uh, situation in which we find ourselves uh, but one of the things that happened was immediately Dr. Greenway contacted me to see if I'd be willing to speak at the uh, conference. And then after doing so, he said, what if we re-released your book? I said, well, fine with me. We have to get permission from Lifeway. But uh, Lifeway gladly gave it. But it was to be a part of the uh, unveiling, you know, of this conference uh, to reconnect. Uh, Southern Baptist to help people understand how we got to this point that the title of the conference was called Baptist and the Bible and Seminary Hill Press was actually going to 
reprint two different books. One was a book published by Tom Nettles and Russ Bush a few years earlier than mine called Baptist and the Bible. And the second one was going to be my book on the doctrine of the Bible. And both of these were going to uh, serve as kind of uh, foundational pillars for this is where Southwestern stands at this particular time to uh, once again reaffirm their commitment to the reliability and uh, truthfulness of the Bible. So the, the, book, the book is out, but there was no conference. Uh, hopefully the conference will be rescheduled in the fall. Uh, we're right now, like so many things, it's uh, on a kind of a contingency planning. Uh, but, but anyway, we're thankful that the book is out and hope that it will serve the seminary well. And, and you touched on this a little bit when you were talking about kind of the context in which you wrote the book, but, but share with us the, the main things, kind of the big ideas that you were hoping to communicate in the book. Yes, uh, the book is, of course, written at a informed layperson level. It's not a scholarly uh, technical book at all. It's, uh, I hope it's accessible and understandable. It's that, you know, that, that was what the purpose of a, a doctrine study was, was to help lay people in the pews understand Christian doctrine. And, you know, that was a great idea. And it's, it'd be wonderful for that to be restored again, to where we would uh, study a doctrine together uh, in such a systematic way across uh, the SBC. We still do it kind of a hit and miss way, but not in quite the coordinated programmatic way we used uh, to do so. Uh, but now that we have such fine theologians in the seminaries, that would be a wonderful thing for Lifeway to reintroduce uh, if, if they could. But one thing I was hoping to do was to help people understand the meaning of just some key terms. Revelation, what does it mean that God has revealed himself to us? Inspiration, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit has inspired the Bible? Uh, inerrancy or infallibility, what does it mean that the Bible is truthful and dependable? Uh, illumination, what does it mean that uh, the Spirit of God helps us, opens our hearts and minds so that we can read Scripture and, and understand it, to, to give some guidelines for interpretation and ultimately for people to recognize that the Bible is God's word written. And if it's God's word written, then it demands our obedience. Uh, it is authoritative. It has the right. It has the right to command uh, speaking to our lives. And uh, so, so uh, it, the book kind of builds to that point with authority being the last chapter, because that's ultimately what the doctrine of the Bible is all about, uh, so, so that we recognize not just this wonderful book of information, uh, but it's a book of formation that will hopefully lead to transformation of the people of God uh, as we yield ourselves to the authority of Scripture. Amen. Uh, Dr. Dockery, when I get up to preach, uh, I usually say something to the effect of, and, and let's stand for the reading of God's inerrant infallible and inspired word. Um, you, your book mentions a few of those I words uh, that are in there. Uh, inspiration, infallibility, inerrancy, interpretation, illumination, some of those. Uh, we, we have a number of pastors that will be listening in. 
that perhaps know know this. Uh, maybe we have some church members, lay people that are that are listening in. That you know, some of my people that hear that often, and and uh, I I don't always think to do a good job of reminding them what that really means and why we say it. I really hadn't done that until uh, we studied First and Second Timothy together. Uh, but uh, but anyhow, what how would you kind of summarize uh, the the inspiration, the infallibility, and errancy of uh, of Scripture? Uh, in a way that just anybody tuning in can understand uh, what we're talking about today. You know, those are three important words that uh, are closely connected to one another, though they're slightly different uh, in their their usage. Uh, inspiration is the work of the Holy Spirit um, as he worked concursively with biblical authors uh, to... Um, superintend their work so that what Moses, Isaiah, Matthew, Paul wrote was at the same time not only the writings of Paul, but the writings of God. Uh, and those two things are happening at the human level and the divine level. And what brings those together is the work of God's Spirit. So, Inspiration is not that the Spirit's up here shouting in Paul's ear as uh, though he's dictating a letter like a, you know, a CEO would to a, a, a clerical worker. Uh, it's not that at all. The Apostle Paul is writing out of his own experience with his own vocabulary, addressing people in the experience of the churches that he started or with, with those with whom he is related, addressing those questions and, and uh, responding to them. But at the same time he is doing that on the human level, the Spirit of God is directing him so that he is actually writing what God wants him to write. And that's the work of inspiration. Uh, we say that God has revealed himself in two ways, in acts and in words, in speech and in acts. And so the Spirit preserves God's revelation through prophets and apostles, directing their writings so that what they write is not only the, the writings of Moses, it's the writing of God. It's not only the writing of David in the Psalms, it is the writing of God. So that when we read the Bible, yes, it's fine to say this is what the Apostle Paul said, but at the same time that we say that, we need to also say this is what God said. Uh, so inspiration is the work of bringing the human author's writings to uh, completion, uh, breathing out those writings so that they are fully uh, stamped as divine uh, as they are, are communicated to God's people. Uh, infallibility then is the result of inspiration. If indeed God has done this, if the third person of the Trinity has is superintending this process, uh, and so that the final result is that this what is written is God's word written, then we can say that it is infallible. That is, it does not lead us astray. It does not err. 
in matter of fact, it's even stronger than that. Infallibility says the Bible cannot err. Uh, and th that's uh, a very strong word. And it was the word of choice among Baptists uh, in the 18th and 19th century to use the term infallibility. Uh, the term inerrancy was used occasionally, but became the primary term uh, used uh, in the 20th century and now used in the 21st century to affirm that after looking at scripture and evaluating what it says, we believe that it coheres. We believe that it is true. We believe that it can be trusted. And we can say in a technical sense, when all the facts are known, after we fully understand what the Bible says, uh, it will be found to be true, therefore not false, in all that it affirms, uh, beginning at Genesis chapter 1 and ending at Revelation chapter uh, 22. And so that when we approach Scripture, we approach it from the standpoint that if it is indeed inspired and infallible and inerrant, that we read it humbly. Uh, we read it without finding fault. Uh, we read it with a confidence that this is God's word to us. And now we have the responsibility with the same enablement of the spirit who inspired those writers to try to understand what it means so that we can teach it rightly and can live appropriately uh, in response uh, to it. But those are three very key words. Inerrancy uh, is often misunderstood to, to, to be a word about preciseness, uh, because we tend to think, you know, of, of 21st century uh, concepts in which we know that today is uh, May the 7th at uh, 2.30 p.m. where I am currently living, uh, and uh, we, we think in terms of dates and times and hours and seconds and particular moments. Whereas the biblical writers uh, didn't think of time in quite that same way. Um, so it's, you could say on about the sixth day or about the eighth day and talking a, a week's period of, of time, you know, or in the day of the day of David or in the day of Moses. And that could be a 40 year time period, not necessarily a 24 hour a day. So we have to understand uh, the Bible within its context, within its particular genre, and then that's how we get to that initial phrase about inerrancy, when all the facts are known, when we properly interpret it, then it will be found to be true and therefore not false in all that it affirms. So a lot of people jump to conclusions and say, uh, the Bible is not uh, precise there. You know, they got the, the, the day wrong, or it says that the sun rose. And we all know that now the earth uh, does not, you know, relates to the sun differently than the way perhaps they thought of it at that particular time. But at six o'clock tonight, there's going to be a weather person on the biggest channel in Chicago, one of the biggest television stations in all the United States of America, where I live. And they're going to say that tonight the sun set at 545 and tomorrow it will rise at 620. And no one in the city is going to get on the phone and call them and complain. 
for using that kind of language because it's phenomenological language. It's how we experience the sun. It goes down, it comes up. That's the way the Bible communicates. The Bible is a book that communicates in the language of the people, and it needs to be understood that way. Uh, when it speaks to science, when it speaks to history, it speaks rightly and dependably, but it is not primarily a science book. It is a book that is written to us to change our lives and to make us more like Christ. Thank you to Dr. David Dockery for joining us today. You can catch the second half of our chat with him next week right here on Not Another Baptist Podcast. Until then, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. This podcast has been sponsored in part by the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. There are a lot of great things happening on Seminary Hill, and so we encourage you to find out all about them at swibbits.edu after this short clip by Roy Fish. Again, that is swbts.edu. Have a great day, and God bless. People without Jesus are lost. And they're not only lost, but they're in danger of being eternally lost. The fact that people are going to be in hell if they don't somehow come into saving faith.